Lord, you are, you are an awesome God, and you're worthy to be worshipped and to be praised, and that's why we gather here this morning, that's to praise you, to tell you that we love you, and we pray as we go to the Word now, we thank you that it is a living and breathing, it's, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, it's not an old antiquated book. Father, I thank you that every person that's here this morning is here not by chance, but by divine appointment, and I pray, Lord, that you would be our teacher, and that each one of us would just, our hearts would be soft to receive from you. So, Father, we pray that you would be glorified. Just minister to each of us now. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, if you're here for the first time today, I just want to say welcome. It's really great to have you here. I hope you feel like part of the family because that's what we are. When you got Jesus in common, you got everything in common. Amen? And so, if you're here also, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand because we will be going through God's Word this morning. We we, we study the Bible at a Bible study. It's a, a unique thing. So raise your hand if you need one. And again, if you need to take it home with you, it's absolutely our gift to you. And those who do have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 11. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. I want to encourage you to pray about coming out on Wednesday nights. We're going through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. We're in Numbers chapter 2 right now. We just did Numbers chapter 1 last week. And I want to encourage you with that. Also, uh, Pastor Bill mentioned the couple's... Uh, retreat. And I really want to encourage you to pray about that. Because Bill Stonebreaker and his wife, they've written several books on marriage. I just think it'd be a great time just to get away. It's just one night. It's right here in Scotts Valley. I think there's six or seven other Calvary chapels that'll be joining us. Um, if you're intending on going, just let us know because we'd love to make sure we have a spot for you. So if you could do that today and talk to Bill, that would be great. Well, let's take a look in Acts chapter 11. And I titled the message this morning, One in Christ. And we're going to see as we get to the text this morning the reason I've titled it that. But I I felt like this morning I wanted to take a minute, as I sometimes do, and really catch us up. Because I want you to see what's going on in the first century church to give you the context of Acts chapter 11. Now, the book of Acts, the church is exploding. God is doing great things. At the end of the Gospels, at the beginning of Acts, we saw that Jesus ascended back into heaven. And now they were not following Jesus in a bodily form anymore. But now He had sent His Holy Spirit to come upon them, to lead them and to direct them as this brand new church was starting. It began as 120 were waiting in the upper room. It says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, And you shall receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We've talked about this many times. The Holy Spirit is either with you, in you, or upon you. He's with the world. They call on their conscience and that's how they know that there's right and wrong. People say, you know, that bugs me when I do things that are wrong, even when they're not saved. And if it were not for the Holy Spirit convicting them, being with them, they would not know right from wrong. But when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit goes from being with us to in us. We become new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. But then we see here that the Holy Spirit had been given to them in John, in the Gospel of John, He had breathed the Holy Spirit into them. But now He says, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And this is where it says, and you shall receive power. And the word for power there is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite or dynamic. And we know that when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church, that they changed radically. And you know what? That still happens today. God is still pouring out His Spirit upon men, and our lives can be transformed. Chapter 2, we saw that power from heaven coming upon them. They began to speak in other languages the wonderful works of God, and people were getting saved. 3,000 people got saved in a single day. Church went from 120 to 3,120. The church grew radically, and they didn't have Bozo the Clown or a petting zoo in the parking lot. They just taught the Word. They preached Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead, and the church exploded. 
Then in chapter 3, we saw the, the, how to walk in the Spirit, and we saw how these apostles, who had been a bunch of guys who napped all the time, went from being men of sleep to men of prayer. Guys who were, were self-centered became compassionate, that were filled with doubt and fear became filled with faith. Guys who were stuck on themselves and talking about who was the greatest became very humble. Guys who would compromise now had conviction. Guys who were chasing after religion were now seeking after God. And that's what happens in the life of a person where the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Amen? You know what? We want to see revival in Santa Cruz County. We need to see spirit-filled believers who love God more than anything else. Amen? And have a burden for a world that so desperately needs Him. You get to chapter 4 and you see evidences of a spirit-filled life and persecution starts to come. Because as they're sharing their faith, the world doesn't like it. By the way, when you share your faith, the world's not going to like it. Amen? You're giving them and sharing with them the greatest gift and the only hope for mankind. But often, the world just wants to live the way they want to live. They want to continue on in their sin. They don't want to, don't, man, don't be preaching that Jesus stuff to me. We've all heard it. But you know what? That happened back then. And when it did, they literally were persecuted for their faith. And it was awesome to me that it said that after listening to Peter and John teach, they said, you know what? These guys are untrained men. But they marveled because they had been with Jesus. The key is not that we're the most trained, that though Bible training is key, but the key is that we've been with Jesus. You know, if we're hanging out with the Lord, we're going to be contagious to a world that so desperately needs Him. You get to chapter 5, and, and then you see hypocrisy ch- uh, chime in. Barnabas gives all that he has pursuing God, and Ananias and Sapphira hold stuff back and try to look really religious before men. And what did God do to him? He smoked him, he killed him. He struck him down dead because he did not want something to come into the church at such a young age to corrupt it. And they were pretending to be Christians and pretending to be religious and pretending to give all they had to the Lord, but they really didn't. Then in chapter 6, we saw the church had grown so much that they had to raise up men to help the apostles. And they raised up what we now call deacons, people that were willing to serve tables and minister to the widows. And this is where I believe ministry always starts. It starts with a heart and a willingness to serve. The Bible says if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be what? A servant of all. And you know what? We need to learn to serve and lay down our lives for people because that's where ministry begins. You show me someone with a heart to serve, and I'll show you somebody that God's going to use in a mighty and a powerful way. The world says that greatness is determined by how many people serve us. The Bible says it's how many people we serve. Amen? Total contradiction from the world. Then we saw in chapter 7 the first martyr of the Christian faith. What was his name? Stephen. And Stephen went and began to preach the gospel. He was one of those waiters of tables. And what did they do to him? They stoned him to death. And I titled that message, A Standing Ovation from God. Because if you remember what happened, that Stephen preached the gospel without compromise, and the the religious hypocrites of the day picked up stones and stoned him to death. But it says that he looked up into heaven, his face was shining, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now the Bible says that Jesus is doing what at the right hand of the Father? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. But I believe that truly this is a standing ovation from God, that Stephen was so sold out for the Lord that when his time came, the Lord stood up to receive him. You know, we want standing ovations from the world, but I can think of nothing greater than a standing ovation from God. And that's what happens in the life of someone who's totally sold out for him. We got to chapter 8 and we saw Philip. And we saw Saul persecuting the church. And he went around making havoc. And we talked about how through persecution the gospel spread. 
Through that persecution, people were spread out all over the place, and all it did, what Satan meant for evil, God used for good. Because people went in all different directions, and what happened? They started sharing the gospel everywhere they went. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then we saw uh, the divine appointments begin as Philip began to share his faith, first with the Samaritan crowd, but then with the Ethiopian eunuch. And if you remember that story, the Ethiopian eunuch is riding along in his chariot, and all of a sudden he's reading the, the, the book of Isaiah, and all of a sudden this guy is running alongside his chariot. Can you imagine that picture? Here comes Philip, right? It must have been supernatural. That guy was Carl Lewis, okay? But he's running alongside the chariot. He gets up alongside him. And he looks over and says, what are you reading? And he gets into the chariot. He leads this Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord, and he baptizes him. Now, the awesome part about this entire thing is, again, how we see God preparing the heart of the one he's going to bring the word to, as well as preparing the heart of the one who's going to deliver it. The eunuch's looking for answers, and he brings one, Philip, to give him the answer. We saw the same thing happen in chapter 9, when Saul was converted. He was knocked off his high horse, if you remember that story. He was traveling to kill Christians, to persecute them, to put him in jail. And the Lord knocked him off his horse, and he said, Lord, who are you? And he told him it was Jesus. And Saul went away and he was blind. And then God sent a man by the name of Ananias to come and minister truth to him. What an awesome thing that here comes Ananias again to minister to Saul who had been persecuting the church. And it just tells me that God loves us enough that he will send people to minister to us even when we're living our lives contrary to him. And then lastly in chapter 10 we saw the, the what began as Gentile Pentecost. If you guys remember the story, we're going to look at it again this morning because it's in chapter 11. It's repeated a lot of it. But Cornelius was this man, a centurion in Caesarea. And he was a man that was seeking God with his whole heart but didn't truly understand who God was. And he's up there and he's praying and it says that the Lord appears to him, an angel appears to him and tells him to go and send for Peter. Peter, as we're going to see today, is down and he's up on a rooftop and the Lord ministers to him and he brings Peter to share with his Gentile man the truth of the gospel and we saw Gentile Pentecost. Now I share all of this with you because I want you to see the context that the church is exploding, that God is doing great and awesome things. It's gone from 120 people to tens of thousands. People are getting saved. People are sharing their faith. The gospel is being spread. But there was still one major problem. And that problem was the Jews and the way they looked at the Gentiles. These Jewish believers had been taught their entire lives or brought up with the fact that we're the only ones going to heaven. And all the Gentiles really don't get it. And and God gave us the law and we're the chosen people and they're banished to hell and they're just fodder for the fires of hell. That's what the rabbis used to teach. And so they looked at the Gentile, they called them Gentile dogs. They viewed them in such a way that if they accidentally rubbed up against a Gentile walking down the street, they would take their clothes and burn them and then go through a ceremonial cleansing because they had touched a Gentile. So now the cross has come and Jesus Christ has paid the price, but they're still kind of holding on to that old way of life. They're still holding on to the rules and the rituals and the rites of the, of the Jewish church and, and of Judaism. And they're holding on to it even though Christ has paid the price. And you know what? Maybe you're here this morning and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, but you're still holding on to the law. Or you're holding on to rules and rituals. Or you're holding on to something you were taught in your culture growing up. And because of that, you have animosity towards some people. Well, that's what's happening with the Jews. But it says this in Ephesians, For he himself is our peace, who has 
made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. There was a wall between the Jews and Gentiles during the time of Jesus before he was crucified. And the Gentiles could not go into that place where the Jews could go. But that wall was torn and the veil was torn that they might enter in. It says in Colossians, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian or, or Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So we're going to look this morning at being one in Christ. And we're going to see God's plan as opposed to what the world wants to do. The world wants to divide. And I want to say this, I'll say this as we go through the message. The world wants to divide, and certainly there are some things we should divide over. Amen? But I believe that God is grieved over the lack of unity in His church. We should be of one heart, of one mind, of one passion. Instead of arguing over non-essentials in the Bible, or doctrine that man has created more appropriately, we should be burdened for those who don't know Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we're going to see here that this is a problem with the Jews. And we're going to see how they respond because Peter now is coming back after having gone to the, to the Gentiles and led them to the Lord. And we're going to see him defending God's grace, testifying of their conversion. And then finally we're going to see a, a, the first Gentile church, truly Gentile church, being built up in Antioch. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at Peter defending God's grace and the accusations that come against him. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So they heard that, he, that they had received the word of God. But again, as soon as they heard it, now first of all, it's interesting to me that they heard they received it before Peter got there. How did that happen? Somebody told. I'm telling. You're witnessing to the Gentile dogs, I'm telling on you. And you know... They ran ahead and said, you're not going to believe what Peter did. Peter went into a Gentile's house and he shared the Lord with them. And they ran back to the Jews and they were all ready for Peter when he came back because they had heard that he had shared the word of God with these, these Gentile dogs. Now understand that God's original plan was that the Jews would be the light of the world. That they would be the ones that share the truth with those who were in darkness. But unfortunately, as time went on, instead of pointing people to God, they began to look down again upon those who, did, who, were, who were not Jewish. They began to look at them as despicable and vile and again to, to consider themselves much more holy and much more righteous and much more godly and that they were, could not know God in any way, shape or form. And sadly, we see a lot of that happening today. That we can fall into the trap of thinking we're better than others. Just let me tell you something right now. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? How many of you in this room are sinners? Raise your hand. If your hand's not up, you're a sinner right now because you're lying, okay? <laughs> the reality is that we're all sinners saved by grace. And because we are sinners, we're in desperate need of a Savior. And we can fall into the trap of becoming so holy or so righteous. Now, we are righteous. We've been made righteous through the shed blood of Christ, but we're not righteous because of our good works. And we need to look at the world through Jesus' eyes and have a broken heart for them, not looking down upon them because they're living according to their nature. And so we see here that Peter's going to be coming back, and they're ready for him. They're waiting for him. They're going to get after him because, again, the Jews did not believe, most Jews did not believe that Gentiles could be saved at all. And the few that did believe that they had to become Jews. You had to be circumcised. You had to you know, keep the law. You had to start 
doing the sacrifices. You had to do everything according to Judaism. But the reality is that when Jesus came, the sacrifices were needed no more. Verse 2. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into an uncircumcised men and ate with them. Pete, what are you thinking? You went up and you were hanging out with Gentiles. Not only did you, you didn't just rub up against one on accident and go burn your clothes, but you went into one of their, their houses and then you sat down and ate with them. Defiled food. You ate defiled food, hanging out with defiled people. Pete, what's up with you? Now, a couple things I want us to see here. First of all, it's interesting that people think that Peter was the first pope. Some people do. If Peter was the first pope, would they have been blasting when he came back? I don't think so. This is another proof that Peter didn't have any more extra, you know, position Peter, James, and John, God used them mightily, used the apostles mightily, but they're questioning him. And they're questioning him because they don't understand. And because they don't view as Peter as being the authority. They're still hanging on to rules and they're still hanging on to religion. And so we see here that they begin to question him, but Peter had nothing to fear. Now why didn't Peter have anything to fear when the people questioned him? Because he'd gone out in what? In obedience to God, right? God had told him to go to Cornelius. When God tells you to go, what should you do? Go. You plus God is the majority. Amen? If God tells you to do something and everybody else is telling you no, you go anyway. And sadly, what we see even now in the church is that we're worried and we're taking public opinion polls. What do you think I ought to do? What do you think I ought to do? And we, you know, we do the Ben Franklin polls. Draw the line. Here's the goods and the bads. And the reality is we've got to come to the point where, Lord, what do you want me to do? And too often in the world we're worried about men. And I tell you this, when you respond in obedience to the Lord and it goes against worldly wisdom, I promise you the accusations will follow. I was a youth pastor for a long time and I have kids come back and say, my mom and dad are blasting me for wanting to go to Bible college. These are Christian parents. What do you want to go to Bible college for? What kind of job are you going to get when you get out? What do you mean you want to go to the mission field? What do you mean you want to quit your job and go into full-time ministry? What do you mean you want to wait for that one person God has for you and you don't want to go around and party and date? What's wrong with you? And when you stand up for God and walk in obedience to Him, the world's going to attack you as being some kind of nutcase. But you know what? When people look at things from a physical perspective, they will never understand you when you're looking at it from a spiritual one. Amen? When you're following after the Lord, you're not going to make sense to a world that's so desperately in need of Him. Hey, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? Nothing else is going to matter. No one's going to ask for my 401k in heaven. No one's going to ask for my port- stock portfolio, which in the last couple of years, if you had any, isn't much more anyway. Amen? And what happens is that we're striving after stuff which is perishing. And these guys are looking at it from a physical perspective. And what are you doing going into the Gentiles? And Peter said, hey, I just obeyed God. I was obeying God. I did what he told me. I'll tell you what. You walk in obedience to the Lord and you have nothing to fear or worry about. Amen? No matter what men may say to you, no matter how the world may go after you. And so they, they spend this, their brief time on the planet, often the world does, chasing after things that are perishing. And I can tell you this. I don't care what my kids do for a living. I really don't care. I just want them to love Jesus. Amen? If my kids are digging ditches and loving Jesus, I'm going to be the happiest dad on the planet. 
And if my, kid, if my son's a neurosurgeon and he's not walking with God, I will be brokenhearted and grieving to the depths of my soul. You know what? I just want my kids to love the Lord because that's what matters. And so we see here that Peter got it. He said, God told me, so I went. And we're going to see that before Peter went that he himself had struggled. He doesn't quarrel with them. He's not going to debate with them. He's just going to share his testimony with them. And I want to encourage you with something. When you're, going, when you're sharing with somebody, always start, a good place to start is your testimony. Amen? Somebody's debating with you and going after you. Where did Cain get his wife? And, you know, and they start asking you a bunch of questions. And You know what? Just start with your testimony. No one can dispute the fact that this is who I was, and then I met Jesus Christ, and this is who I am now. Amen? Share your testimony. Share with them what Jesus Christ has done to you. And that's what Peter does. He's going to talk about God. He's going to give his testimony of what God did to send him where he went. He's not going to debate with them about the law. He's not going to argue with them about the rules and the rituals. Instead, he's just going to take them to the Lord. And I want to encourage you to do the same. You know, most of you know we're on the radio five days a week. We're on at 10.30 in the morning on 8.80 a.m. And every once in a while I get calls. And I got a call yesterday, I think it was or day before, and I was talking to this guy for about an hour, and he was just blasting me about the higher churches do this, and the higher churches do that, and everything that he said to me was based on something that some man taught. Well, back in the 12th century, so-and-so said, and back in the, and I kept saying to him, bro, I really don't care what any man has ever said, ever. What does the Bible say? And I just kept taking him to the cross. I don't want to debate with you about peripheral things. What does the Bible say? It's all about Jesus, amen? It's Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. So that's what Peter's going to do here. He's going to say, let me tell you what God did. Verse 4, but Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. And when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. Now, Peter begins to share the testimony of how God, in a divine way, drove him up to minister to Cornelius. But we'll notice a couple things I want you to see. In verse 5, when did God speak to, to Peter? He was, what was he doing? He was on a rooftop doing what? He was praying. You know, people say to me, Pastor Dave, I just, I'm dry and I'm not hearing from the Lord. Let me ask you a question. What's your prayer life like? How much time are you spending with Him? How much time are you spending in the Word? And so Peter's up on the rooftop. He's very hungry. And he's physically hungry, but there's a man who's spiritually hungry that God's going to send him to to minister the truth. Again, he's praying. Verse 6 there we see in verse 7, he shows Peter all these unclean animals. Now you have to understand that that Gentile food was forbidden by the law of Moses. And it was forbidden because it was often used to sacrifice to pagan idols. And they were to steer clear of those who served pagan idols, so their diet was put in place. But when Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the sacrificial system? It's over. We're not dragging any lambs in here anymore, amen? Aren't you glad? Jesus Christ is the lamb who paid the price. Tatalistai, it is finished. Praise the Lord. And so we see here that this unclean animals are rolled down. Remember, going back to that culture thing, that stuff that's been ingrained in you, 
I've had people say, I grew up in such and such a church and I just can't get over this thing. Because for every day for my first 20 years of life, I had to do this thing. And it's just ingrained in me. I can't let go of it. And that's what happened here with Peter. He had, you know, he had seen it. And now the Lord very clearly shows him, rise, kill, and eat. And I told you last, ver- last week, this is one of my favorite verses. How many like barbecue? Praise the Lord. So right, that's good. Rise, kill, and eat. The Lord's sweet aroma in the presence of God. That's good. Four-footed dead animal on a plate. I like it. It's good. Okay? A1 sauce. Oh, it's good stuff. All right? But the Lord here tells him, rise, kill, and eat. But he's really ministering to him more than about the diet itself, but about the fact that the wall had come down between the Jew and the Gentile. There was no longer a, a Jewish diet and a Gentile diet. There was no longer Jew and Gentile in God's eyes. There was those who were following him and those who weren't. There were Christians and unbelievers, no longer Jew and Gentile. And he's preparing his heart to say, but how does he respond? What does he say? Not so what? Can you say not so, Lord? You, you can say not so, pal, not so, buddy, not so, friend. You can't say not so, Lord. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Amen? Lord means master. Say, he's my master. He's the one I follow. He's the one I serve. And when you say not so, you can only say yes, Lord. Amen? But he says not so, Lord, because of my tradition. I've never put any of that stuff in my mouth, and I'm not going to do it. Now God's telling him, I want you to, no, I'm not going to do it. Not so, Lord. I've got my own way. Lord, I, I've never put anything like that in my mouth. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. Notice the word there is not Savior. It needs to be more than just your Savior. Amen? Not just getting the get-out-of-hell-free card and put it in your wallet and living like the world. God's called us to be new creations in Christ filled with the Spirit of the living God, and we should be different. Amen? And we should be following Him and walking with Him and serving Him 24-7. And so I appreciate here that Peter is very open about the fact that he said, not so, Lord. I like that. Remember, this is him telling the story. He's giving his testimony, and he doesn't just like skip by that verse, which he could have, right? And the Lord told me to go, and I went with a joyful heart, right? He didn't say that. I love the fact that the Bible shows the frailties of the men that God uses. It tells me that God can use a knucklehead like me, Amen. I can blow it and God can still use me. Maybe you're here and you've blown it. I want you to know that God can still use you. Amen? He loves you and He wants to use you. The greatest ability is availability. And so He's telling them the rules and and, and rituals are no longer in place. Verse 9. But the voice answered me again from heaven and said, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. The Bible says... It's not that which goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but that which comes out of a mouth, because it reflects his heart. Christian faith had done away with these regulations, and more importantly, the cross had opened the door to the Gentiles. They didn't have to become become Jews to get saved. They just needed to put their faith in Christ. Let me tell you right now, guys, you don't need to join any local church to be saved. You don't need to keep 12 different rules and rituals You don't need a laundry list of things that you have to do in a perfect way to give your life to God. You just simply need to confess that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and the Bible says that He will be faithful and just to forgive you. Amen? And then, when you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you will get plugged into a church, but it's not church membership that saves you. If that were the case, you'd all be in trouble because we don't have church membership here. Amen? 
You're a member here if you show up. We got Jesus in common, that's enough. And so we see here that he's telling them things have changed. And I've cleansed that. And what you used to look down upon, don't look down upon anymore. Because I've touched it and I've cleansed it. Verse 10. Now this was done three times and all were drawn up again into heaven. And at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. So not only did God speak to him through a vision while he prayed, but we see here that the Holy Spirit is directing him as well. So, the whole, so God's speaking to him as he prays, and now the Holy Spirit's giving him direction. And I love the perfection and the sovereignty of God, that as he's praying, and he doesn't fully understand, there's a knock at the door. And he goes downstairs, and these men are there saying, we've been sent to get you, Peter, to come tell us about God. Okay, yes, Lord, right? Not, not so, Lord, anymore. And he just followed in obedience. How many of you have ever experienced that, where you're praying, and you're just asking God to use you, and you're just walking through your daily life, and man, God just brings that opportunity right in front of you. You know what I'm talking about? Amen? You pray, I promise God will use you. Lord, use me today. That's a prayer he will answer every single time you pray it. Every single time. Because that is according to his perfect will. But we see here that the Spirit told Peter to go and not to doubt anything. Again, he didn't know where he was going exactly, and he didn't know exactly what was going to happen when he got there. And it shows me that God often tells us to follow him one step at a time. We want the blueprint. I want to see the next 50 years of my life mapped out. I don't want to hear, sell my house and move somewhere where it's very expensive to live and quit my job and go to that church or serve the Lord or do this or go to Bible. I want to see, now if I go to Bible college, Lord, now how many years am I going to be there? And when I get out, what kind of gig you got waiting for me? Now this missionary thing sounds okay, but what does it pay? Now do you notice that when the apostles were called, they never negotiated a salary? You ever see that? Peter, you know, Matthew, come and follow me. So, well, you know, I'm a tax collector. I got a pretty good gig here. I'm making a lot of money. Have you seen my house? Now, let's start the bidding. Now, what, what does this gig pay? I mean, I want, what, kind of, what kind of health program we got? And, and you, know, I, you know, what kind of financial stability and, and future am I going to have if I, if I go with you, Lord? The Lord says that we're to get our eyes off of stuff that is perishing. It's all deck chairs in the Titanic anyway, right? It's shoveling dirt. It's stuff that doesn't matter. It's the eternal stuff that really is where our focus needs to be. He goes doubting nothing, and he took six men with him. And I love that. He gets a vision from God. He's led by the Spirit, and he brought six men with him. What would those men be? Witnesses. So now he's telling this group, hey, I went. And when I got there, the Spirit led me. I was led by a vision. I'm going to share with them the truth but I had six witnesses with me. You're not questioning me, you're questioning God, because he's the one who sent me. Verse 13. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. So he, he's relating what Cornelius had said, how God had prepared his heart. I find it interesting that he said an angel was standing in his house. Jews wouldn't stand in his house, but an angel would. I think that's a, a real clear point to them. Hey guys, the angels are standing in his house, so it's okay for us to be there. Peter had been called by name, and it's interesting to me that there was a man living in Caesarea already, and a man by the name of Philip. But God chose to use Peter and bring him from far distance 
to minister to him because he not only wanted to minister to Cornelius, but he wanted to minister to Peter's heart. And God will do the same thing with us if we'll just let him. He wants to use us. And so Peter begins to preach, verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Peter begins preaching the word of God, and what happens? The Holy Spirit falls upon the place, and they all start speaking in other languages, and they're glorifying and speaking the wonderful works of God. What does that remind Peter of? When the Holy Spirit came upon them. Notice I said this last week. Peter didn't have them all stand up and start chanting so that they could speak in tongues. Peter didn't, you know, rile them up and ring a chime and have everybody start, you know, trying to, all right, let's go. We want the Holy Spirit to move. Let's go, right? Let's do some Holy Spirit calisthenics so he'll show up. That's weak. He just taught the Word and the Holy Spirit showed up. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by... The Word of God. It's God's Word that transforms lives. Not the, you know, swinging from the chandeliers and trying to look for the na- latest and newest, you know, thing. Man, let's just fall in love with the Lord. God's Word is sufficient. We don't need all, the, you know, all that other stuff to be conjured up. But Peter said, here he said, you know, just like it happened to us, guys, he's talking to the Jews. I know you think they're dogs, but I went up there and I started sharing with them the gospel. And you know what happened? The Holy Spirit fell on them. And I remembered how Jesus said, and he's quoting Jesus here in John in, in verse 16, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This was Jesus' promise, and this is Gentile Pentecost. And praise the Lord, the Holy Spirit came not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. So we see Peter testifying of these, I, I had a vision from God, a witness of the Holy Spirit, and now the Word of God ministered to my heart. Verse 17. If therefore God gave them the same gift as He gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should withstand God? Hey, God gave them the same gift He gave us. And notice the gift wasn't circumcision. The gift wasn't the law. The gift wasn't a wheelbarrow full of rules with a black robe in heaven at the end. A lot of people think that being a Christian is, you know, you've got to walk, oh, you know, got to walk around and hit yourself on the face of the board every three steps, right? Oh yeah, I love the Lord, so I'm going to just inflict myself with pain. I'm going to just be tortured but heaven at the end. Hey, He came that we might have life and life more abundant. Amen? He wants us to have joy. And too often the church is portrayed as a bunch of cans instead of cans. And He said, how can I withstand God? He gave them this same gift. I didn't do it, God did it. You can't question it. Who was I to oppose God or to come against what He was doing? Verse 18. When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. I love that all he did was share the testimony of what God had done. He didn't argue with them about the rules. He didn't argue with them about the rituals. He just told them what God had done. Again, a great place to start is with your testimony. So now, these Gentile dogs are brothers in Christ. They're truly one in Christ. They went from resentment over Peter's visit to rejoicing over what God had done. And may we not, again, make the same mistake as the early Christian church had, looking down on unbelievers or looking down on people who maybe worship a little bit different way than we do. You know, some churches play an organ for for worship. Praise the Lord, amen? Are we brothers and sisters in Christ? Yes. Some people meet and have soft chairs to sit on. 
Praise the Lord. Amen. You're, yeah, amen. I bear, where's that church? I bear witness, right? But the reality is that when we got Jesus in common, that's what matters. And I'm not saying, you know, that we start fellowshipping with the witch doctors and the Hindu. You know, it's not this big tent where oh, all paths lead to God. There is one thing that is absolute. It's Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead, and He's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Amen? But when we have Jesus in common, we can make the mistake of looking to the world like a bunch of people bickering over stuff that's irrelevant when it comes to eternity. What kind of worship you have, what kind of building you have, how you dress when you go to church, that stuff doesn't matter in eternity. And too often people divide over non-essentials in the body of Christ. Verse 19. Now we're going to move on. Look at this new church springing up. Now the, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyrus and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them who were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, they went and they still were not fully getting it. They were preaching a selective gospel. These guys are the first Calvinists, right? They're preaching only to the elect. It's only the Jews. And they're not preaching to anybody else. Where's the reality? It is desired that none should perish, no, not one. Amen? For God so loved what? The world. Not the elect, not the few, not the chosen, the world. And He loves you. And when you start saying that God only died for some, that's not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Because Jesus Christ died for all. It is His desire that none should perish. Now man has a choice to make, to accept or reject that work on the cross. And Jesus Christ is the one that paid it. And He loves all of mankind. And you know what happens is, if we get into this arrogant thing that only I'm one of the few chosen, we become like these Jews who look down on the world and say, I'm one of the elect and you're not. You know what? The reality is that he, he loves them all. He loves us all. And ultimately, every man will make a choice to accept or reject Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And these guys went and began preaching to the Hellenist, preaching the Lord Jesus. So they go up into Antioch. And let me just briefly tell you about Antioch. This place was bad news. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was extremely wicked. They worshipped a goddess called da- named Daphne, the goddess of seduction. They had temple prostitutes. They had, uh, the, this place was filled with gambling and sexual depravity, you know, kind of like Sodom and Gomorrah or, or Vegas, right? I mean, it was a place filled with gambling and sexual depravity, and this place was out of control. And I love the fact that they didn't just say anathema. They went up there and preached Jesus. Does Vegas need Jesus? Does Santa Cruz Need Jesus? I've had people tell me, Ichabod, the glory hath departed from Santa Cruz. Dude, don't go start a church there, whatever you do. I had people tell me that before I came. And praise God that God wouldn't allow me to go anywhere else. Amen? Walk in obedience to Him. And so we see here that, that they go up to Antioch and they begin to share the truth. Verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So in the midst of this very wicked city, the light of the gospel shone brightly, and a great number of people were turned to the Lord. No city is so wicked that God can't bring revival. Praise God for that. Amen? Even places like Vegas and Santa Cruz. Verse 22, The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with purpose of heart 
that they should continue with the Lord. Now, I love this. Before, when Gentiles were getting saved, and by the way, the, the church in Antioch was primarily Gentiles. When the Gentiles first were ministered to, in previous verses, they were upset. Now they're sending a guy to go minister to the Gentiles. That's a transformed heart. Amen? That's why Peter's message was so important to go back and say, guys, he's ministering to the Gentiles. And now they send Barnabas up. Barnabas' name means son of what? Son of encouragement. And that's the kind of man Barnabas was. And he goes up to this new church in Antioch, and, when he, and it says, when he had seen the grace of God, he was glad. This points back to what I was saying before. The grace of God brings gladness. Amen? Legalism brings sadness. When you're preaching the law and pounding people with the law and beating people up with the law and pouring heavy burdens on their shoulders, they walk around just overwhelmed. But the grace of God brings joy. Amen? I'm so blessed that He did it all that I might have eternal life. Amen? I'm glad there aren't a bunch of rules I have to keep because I'd be blowing it every single day. While Barnabas was blessed what he saw, he exhorted them to stand for the Lord. Look what it says there. Then with all purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. He goes, look, I know that you live in a godless, wicked city, and I want to encourage you to continue to seek after God, even though what's going on around you is, is here. Even though we live in the Bay Area, which is pretty godless. Do you, I don't know if you knew this. This is the most unchurched part of the United States. Less than 3% of the people in the Bay Area go to church on a regular basis. And that's counting all churches. So what percentage really love the Lord and have a heart for Him? It's a pretty godless place. But what better place to take a halogen light than to the darkest place around? Amen? And so we see here that He's telling them, guys, you live in a wicked place. There's, there's sexual depravity. There's gambling. It's out of control here. You just keep pursuing God. And He's going to use you in a powerful way. It says there, of Barnabas, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. You know what? When God calls you a good man, that's pretty awesome. But what made him a good man? What made him a good man? The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. What made him a good man? He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. You want to be a good man in God's eyes? Be filled with the Spirit of the living God. Want to be a good woman in God's eyes? Have faith to serve Him and follow Him with your whole heart. How, do you, how are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Somebody tell me, how do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? What do you have to do? Ask. What else? That's it. The Bible says, if you ask, I will give it to you. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Okay. That's his answer every time. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I've had people say before, they ask my pastor in San Jose, Pastor Don, why do you pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit numerous times? He said, because I leak right? And the reality is that, you know, I believe the Bible clearly teaches that there is subsequent filling of the Holy Spirit. And then also, how do we get faith? So we get the Holy, the, filled with the Holy Spirit by asking, where does faith come from? I hope you don't know that, this answer. What is it? The Word. Amen? It's our verse of this church. You better know it, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if you want to be a good man, a good woman, someone used mightily by God, someone looks, God looks down upon and brings a smile to his face, you be one that's filled with the Spirit of the living God and one who's filled with faith. 
Simply ask Him, Lord, may I be filled with Your Spirit. Lord, help me to walk in the fullness of Your Spirit and spend time in His Word, and you will be a man or a woman that God can use in a mighty and a powerful way. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. He goes to find Saul. Remember, Saul's been in Tarsus for seven to ten years. We're almost done here. Saul goes to Tarsus and had been in Tarsus for seven to ten years. We don't know for sure what he was doing, but I tell you this much. He was making tents and preaching the gospel. Amen? We know that Saul was sold out for the Lord at this point. He's loving God. But he didn't know what was next. He might have thought he was going to make a tent the rest of his life. But we see other tent makers who are Christians in the Bible. And I think that that's not by chance. I have an idea those people must have run into Saul somewhere. Right? But for seven to ten years he's in Tarsus and he's making tents and he's preaching the gospel. And now Barnabas comes along and says, Saul, let's go up to Antioch. We're going to go up there and minister to those people. And Saul went. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So they taught a great many people. Go to verse 20. They preached the Lord. Verse 23, they encouraged the believer. And verse 26, they taught the people. You know what? Biblical teaching is key. We need to be grounded in the Word. The word preached there is like proclaiming the gospel. People need to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. People need to be exhorted or encouraged to be stretched in their faith. And the people need to be taught the whole counsel of God. You know what? Today there are many Christians who are very anemic in their faith. Let me tell you why they're anemic. No Bible. The problem in the church today is biblical illiteracy. Don't go to a church where some man tells you he has to teach you the Bible because you can't get it on your own. The same Holy Spirit that dwells in every man who teaches the Word dwells in you if you're born again. Amen? And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We're to desire this thing more than our necessary food. You guys don't walk by the fridge 87 times a day without opening that bad boy, right? I know I don't. That hand's about to get wore out on me, right? I'm always hungry. It's amazing. How can I always... I eat a meal... Way too big for me, and 10 minutes later, I'm in the fridge, right? But the Bible says we're desired this more than the food. Man, we want to see God do great things. Let's be hungry for God's Word. Amen? Let's be filled with the Spirit of the living God. And then lastly, three, last three verses. And in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which had happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they did also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Not only have we seen the Jews starting to minister to the Gentiles, but look at this. The Gentiles now are ministering to the Jews. Now some of the Gentiles could have got up and said, I ain't sending them nothing. They used to call me dog, man. I remember when I ran into that guy in the street, he went and burned his clothes. I mean, these guys are... Talking trash about me. Oh, they're going to be hungry? Too bad for them. And you'll notice that when they hear the famine's coming, they don't build shelters and store up gold and have a bomb shelter and, you know, I get as much food as I can and if anybody comes near it, I'm going to blow them away in Jesus' name, right? When famine comes, we don't store up for ourselves. We minister to others, amen? And that's what these guys did. The famine was coming and they went out and ministered to others. May we have the same heart. You know what? We can look at some people and say, you know, they've talked bad about me in the past. When famine comes, go love them anyway. Amen? Got a coworker that's been a jerk. Got somebody that's just not... Love them anyway. That's how we're going to reach them. It's kindness that leads people to repentance. So in review, 
Peter's testimony of God's great work helped bring the walls down between the Jews and the Gentiles. They were now brothers, not Gentile dogs. Holding on to religious rules and rites and rituals had brought division. But now, by just looking at Jesus, there was no more division. We need to look at Him. Word of God transformed lives in the midst of wickedness in Antioch. And may we preach the Word and love the people of Santa Cruz in the same way. Can I encourage you to do something? Will you start praying with me for Santa Cruz? Santa Cruz means Holy Cross. Amen? Can God do awesome things here? Yes, He can. Pray for the other churches in town that are teaching the Bible. Pray for their pastors. I pray for them by name every week. Pray for them. Pray for, man, it doesn't matter which lifeboat they get in, just that they get to shore. Amen? I just want to see people in Santa Cruz come to know Christ. Whether they come to church here or Santa Cruz Bible or somewhere else where the Word of God is being taught, God bless them. I praise God. Amen? But the people that are called to be here, may we equip, be equipped and love the Lord and reach out to a world that so desperately needs Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your love and your grace. And we thank you that we are all truly one in Christ. Not because of the denomination we belong to. Not because of the, the rules and rituals we keep or the way we dress on Sunday morning. But Father, we know that what we have in common is Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. So Father, I just pray, Lord, you'd help us to love people the way that you love them. Lord, help us to start out with what we have in common. Lord, I pray for Santa Cruz County. You'd bring revival here. And I pray for the pastors in this town that, Lord, you'd give them a passion and a burden to teach your word and to love people. May we be united in reaching out to the people in the city that so desperately need you. So, Father, we love you and we praise you. And I just thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, my dad's going to come on up and lead you guys in communion. Many of you know I'm I'm leaving for India, and I'm leaving in about two hours. So I'm going to be heading up to the airport right now, and my dad's going to lead you guys in communion. I would covet your prayers. Most of you know I'm going to have a chance to minister to about 700 pastors over there who are going to go out and start churches. And just, I, I appreciate your prayer, and I think you're going to pray for me right now, right? Yeah. All right. Well, let's pray, and then I'm, I'm going to head on out. I'm going to miss you guys. I'll be praying for you. You pray for me. Amen? Pray with me, please. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, David's heart is listening to you, and he desires, as you have led him, to go and teach several hundred men how to study the Bible so they can go to many different villages in India and preach the gospel and train the disciples there to love you and become disciples themselves. We pray that you'll watch over David and mm. watch his health and give him safe journey mercy everywhere he goes, on the plane there, the train to other uh, towns and villages, and everything that he does. We pray particularly for his stomach, the problems that he has. And we pray that you'll watch over him, that you will keep him filled with your Holy Spirit, and that you will use him mightily to bring people to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to miss you guys. God bless you. Bless you so much. Before we take communion, I want to just take a minute and tell you about the first 